0: Welcome to another life impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.
1: We're just gonna get stuck into the word. So we're going to be reading from uh, 1 Corinthians, hey, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 uh, from one to 13. Uh, If you're reading from a Bible at the back, uh, it's on page 797, Uh, we'll be reading from the NIV. So, Uh, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. I give, I give, if I give all I possess to the poor and give my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is, it is not proud, um, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and, in, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is it in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. When I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we only see a re- reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known." And now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And flick your Bibles or your device to 1 John chapter 4. And we'll be reading from uh verses 7 to 21. If you're reading from the back, it's page 854. So I need to make sure I'm yeah. dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love, is, and His love is made complete in us. This is how we we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His, He has given us of His Spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So we thank God for his word and I invite Sam up today.
0: Thank you, Liam. And please do keep your Bibles open to uh, 1 Corinthians as the text we're going through today. Um, It's a pleasure to talk to you from the Word this morning. Um, My name is Sam. If I've met you before, I'm one of the elders here at Sea Light North, Um, and I'd love to extend, continue to extend a warm welcome to you. Um, We'd love for you, especially if you're new here, to join us for lunch. Um, Our food team doesn't disappoint. Um, and it's, it's free, right? So that's, that's always great. Um, but yeah, let's crack into our word this morning. Um, <clears throat> it was November 1984 when a little-known British contemporary poet and philosopher called Mick Jones, um, he would write his magnum opus. People all across Britain, across USA, and all over here in Australia as well, would rush to hear his words again and again. Because he articulated a timeless desire that everyone could seemingly relate to. He wrote, I want to know what love is, before then suggesting, I want you to show me. (laughs) And by contemporary poet, I do mean the singer-songwriter from the 80s band, Foreigner, and by magnum opus, I mean their power ballad that shot to number one across the US, UK and Australian charts. Nevertheless, Mick here had touched on a sentiment that resonated globally. And it's not hard to see why he may have been confused, because what do we actually mean by the word love? It's at least a little confusing to know what we mean in our English language, because we use that term across multiple meanings. You could say, I'm in love with you, Um, where it's romantic love, or maybe you really love your mum or your sister, Uh, it's a platonic love where you care for someone, or maybe it's like, oh man, I really love 49 flavours Pandang ice cream, where it's just your favourite thing at the current minute. It can be hard to know what we mean by the word love. Move forward to 21st century Australia, and I think our culture still doesn't really have a great grasp on love. Sure, we're interested in feeling loved. We're enamored by shows like The Bachelor, Married at First Sight, Farmer Wants to Wife. Um, we love looking for love. But could we fulfill Mick Jones's request? I want you to show me. Do we know how to show love? And I'm not sure we do. Uh, for example, modern Australians don't really know or care about our neighbors. Uh, recent research shows one in five Aussies have never met our next-door neighbors, uh, that a third of us are not even interested in getting to know our neighbors, and almost 100% of us have actually gone out of our way to avoid our neighbors at one point or another. It seems we're pretty happy to avoid opportunities to show love. What about our marriages? Uh, According to Australian Bureau of Statistics in 2019, there was about 110,000 new marriages here in Australia, Uh, That year, there was also 50,000 divorces. So in Australia, roughly for every two new marriages, one was calling it quits. I don't think we really know how to commit to love either. I think our culture knows okay how to do the feeling in love part, but not so much the showing of love part. And so what this sets up a bit is a need. Uh, Who's going to be able to respond to Mick Jones's request? There is a need for people to know what love is and to have more than just a definition, but to see an example of what love is. And uh, that's what Paul's letter to the Corinthians helps us explore more today. Um, So I'm going to pray and we'll have an explore of the text. Father, we, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that no matter what we've done or where we find ourselves, we can know that you love us. Lord, we, as we explore your word today to the Corinthians, we pray that your spirit would help us grow closer in knowing the love of Jesus, a love that never runs out for us, and help us grow closer to you and bring clarity to our motivations for loving those around us. Speak to us today through your word. Amen. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, this is a relatively well-known text, and it's not too hard to see why. Uh, it's beautiful, it's eloquent, poetic, and it talks about love, and who doesn't love love. So it's not entirely surprising that it's a common verse displayed across Christian trinkets, on gift cards at Koorong, or hand lettered posters on Etsy. And you've probably come across it at a wedding you've been to, maybe like those guys pictured. Yeah, Ruth and I had it at our wedding. But this isn't actually a text written for marriage context. Paul wrote it to the church back in Corinth in the first century. And it's within this section of the letter we started last week, uh, chapters 12, 13 and 14, where Paul is talking about how to go about using our spiritual gifts within the church. So it's helpful to have that lens as we look at the passage today. This is written to a church and, and to Christians to know how to use our gifts within a church context. So last week we saw Paul encouraging the Corinthians that all the spiritual gifts are important, that they've been distributed throughout the church by God's design. So with our gifts, don't compete, don't try and elevate some above others, uh, don't keep them to ourselves, but rather desire to use all these God-given gifts for the church's common goods. And then if you remember last week, Paul left us on a bit of a cliffhanger. He said, now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet... I will show you the most excellent way. But what is this most excellent way, Paul? Uh, And it's been left to us this week and this week's edition of Loving Church for us to find out. Uh, Spoiler alert, you've probably figured out it's love. But we'll explore more about why that is the most excellent way today. So, big idea I want to take from our text today is know love and be motivated by love. Um, And we'll explore that through the text, um, through these three points, gift without love equals nothing. And that love must be displayed and love lasts forever. And then we'll finish up by looking at how we can apply this to us at City Light North. Excuse me. So, gifts without love equals Nothing. To recap some of what we've covered in our series so far, first century Corinth was a popular, it was a prosperous city, a, a major cog in Rome's economy, um, as a major port city for trade, a travel destination. And so it was, it was prosperous and it had this cosmopolitan culture. Um, by way of a modern parallel, we could think of a, a city like a London or a Paris or a New York, sort of this cultural destination with a cosmopolitan culture. A city used to being a hive of influencers, um, a cultural trendsetter, um, and guaranteed to be on your favorite music artist's uh, poster, or a city that's only getting the best traveling speakers, the best traveling stage shows, the sort of city that is used to encountering the impressive. And when you're part of a city like this, uh, needing to be impressive can seep into the human psyche. And that's what we've also seen with the people of Corinth. They were also obsessed with their own status and obsessed with their own self-promotion. And here as we start the passage today, it seems that's what Paul is addressing. He's saying to the Corinthian church, you could be the most impressive thing imaginable, but without love, you're ultimately nothing. And so we read from verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So you could have the gift of being able to speak in another human language. That would be pretty impressive, I would find. Um, or you could go so far as to hypothetically be able to speak in angel language, which isn't actually a thing we see anywhere in the Bible, per se, because um, we, when we see angels speaking, Uh, The humans can can understand their language, so they're no doubt speaking in human language there. But Paul's saying even if the angels have their own language and you could hypothetically understand it, um, without love, that's not impressive at all. It's actually just annoying noise, like a a clanging cymbal, ineffectual, unharmonious, and irritating noise. We keep reading from verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing." And we begin to see a pattern here in in Paul's writing. Um, He begins with a gift the Corinthians would be impressed by. Here it's prophecy. And then he lists another gift taken to the nth degree, uh, to perhaps the most impressive level. Here it's being able to fathom all the mysteries of the world and have all knowledge. Um, Or having faith that could move mountains. Whoa, that's impressive. Um, But without love, it's nothing. And he's escalating it to that hypothetical level in that we can't, as humans, actually ever know all the uh, mysteries and all the knowledge of the world. Um, But Paul's saying, if hypothetically, even if you could do that, um, without love, it's still nothing. And because that's behind the heart of the Corinthian culture here, impressiveness. And it doesn't matter if you're impressive, without love, you are nothing. Paul continues, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to boast, sorry, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Again, here, you could give away all you possess for the poor. Wow, that's an incredible, noble and impressive display. Or if you go so far as to hypothetically give away your actual body through hardship, um, that would be so, so generous. But without love, nothing is gained. The net result is zero. So what do we take from this first section of the passage? We know uh, the spiritual gifts, they're all good. They're God-given by his design for the church's common good. But in displaying and sharing these gifts, if we don't have love, it only equates to nothing. So there's a need as followers of Jesus for us to be aware of our motivations in contributing and sharing our gifts with the church, to be able to self-check and self-examine if we're being motivated by love. Now Mick Jones' words are still sort of ringing in my ear, so it would be helpful to know more about what Paul means by love. And fortunately for us, this is where he turns next. Uh, Love must be displayed is our second point and we'll keep reading from verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And that is an incredible and beautiful picture to imagine. What if all humanity acted in this way? What if that was our daily experience of working with our colleagues, or relating with our families and our friends? Or if everyone we met down our street would act that way towards us, that would be like a dream, right? That would be a utopia um, of existence. The reality of course is that we don't experience this every day and we don't experience this love from every human we meet. The reality is that we don't love like this. Well, I know that I can't say that I fully love like this. And this, th- that's what is striking about this passage, that it's such a beautiful picture of love such eloquent poetry that would fit so well on an Etsy poster or a Kurong gift card, or in a wedding ceremony. But it's also such a challenging and humbling measurement to run over ourselves. I don't think, for me, that there's a line in there that I could fully claim to achieve in any given week. Maybe I could get through a day where I could feel I've done most, or a few of those things, but especially when I look back over a week, there's something in that list that will always hit me. It will remind me of my humanness and my need for humility and my brokenness. So while this verse is an incredibly beautiful picture, it's also an incredible challenge. Uh, let's make a couple of observations about what Paul's saying here before further looking at applying this. Firstly, this list Paul has written, it's not an exhaustive list of what love is and isn't. It doesn't necessarily belong in Merriam-Webster as the dictionary definition of love. Um, for instance, this, this doesn't mention that love is gracious or love is merciful or love doesn't gossip. Um, of course, we could derive this from some of what's been said here, but we want to remember that Paul is writing to a specific situation and a specific group of people, the Corinthian church. What he's included here is not random, but actually we can notice some qualities directed at uh, the behaviours we've seen in the Corinthian church. Now, we we did start this series last year and and picked it up again this year. So to recap a bit of what we've covered, um, chapters 1 to 4, the Corinthians, they were boasting about who their favourite leaders were. Love does not boast. Uh, Chapters 5 7, they were content in their sexual immorality. Love does not delight in evil. Chapter 8, puffed up in their own knowledge. Love is not proud. Chapters 9 and 10, Paul was defending himself against accusations from their church. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. In chapter 11, wives were shaming their husbands and the wealthy were shaming the poor. Love does not dishonor others and love always protects. So we can see this list, it's a selected response somewhat to the actions of the Corinthian church um, that Paul is trying to address. The second thing we can notice is this list of love is pretty much all verbs rather than adjectives. Um, now in our English translations there's a few uh, adjectives in there, but in the original Greek, it's all verbs. Um, not that that screen's for the most help, but you see, it's all verbs. Um, so Paul is describing love here as verbs. Love is actions, it's behaviours. Um, and this is a key definition um, of what love is it can't just be an internal feeling or an emotional state or a character trait that we have. Love needs to be manifested outside ourselves. For love to be loved, it needs to be acted out towards someone else. So we see love must be displayed. It must be acted out. But why even love at all? What is our motivation behind all this? Why even bother? Jesus shed some light on this for us back in John 13, where he says to his disciples, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Firstly, Jesus confirms here that love is an action in saying, as I have loved you. We have all been recipients of his love first. He has acted out his love towards us and this provides for us an example to follow in endeavoring to love each other. Also, Jesus is saying it's by this display of our love for one another that everyone, people within our church, people outside the church, the whole world will see that we are followers of him. So if we're wanting to be part of a church that follows Jesus, this is part of what we're signing up for. Our goal is to first deeply know the radical and undeserved love we have all received from Jesus. And then also to display that within our church towards each other so that it can be evident from the outside. This is to be a distinguishing mark of what it is to be a church. So it helps shift our mindset from ourselves and from what we receive from church, more to what have I received from Jesus? How can I display that in my church? How can I act in that way towards others? How can I display love? So, so far today we've seen Using our gifts without love equals nothing. And that love is an action. It must be displayed. And in the final section of our passage today, Paul gives us yet another motivation to love, that it will last forever. So, in the next few verses, Paul takes a step back and he looks at the bigger picture of eternity. He again contrasts spiritual gifts against love, but whereas before he was saying um, he he's showing us how gifts are dependent on love to amount to anything, here he says, "Hey, love is also superior to any gift because it lasts forever." So we read verses eight to ten. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies they will cease, where there are tongues they will be stilled, where there is knowledge it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. So love will never fail. It will never end. It will never cease. However, those other gifts, prophecy, tongues, knowledge, they'll all have an expiry date on them. There will come a time when completeness comes, which we'll get to in a sec, um, that these other gifts will cease. We'll keep reading. Uh, a child's experience against a mature adults and viewing something in a mirror compared to -to face-to-face. But what does he mean by that phrase, when completeness comes or by then we shall see face-to-face? He's referring to here uh, the time when Jesus returns and this world we live in is made new and restored and it's what we call the new creation. And this is a promise we all have as believers that we will have eternal life in a renewed creation without sin. And it's a phenomenal thought and a magnificent hope that we hold together. And it's here where we'll live in a state of seeing God face to face, an incredibly intimate picture. As Christians, this isn't probably how we would describe our current experience in our relationship with God. um, In our current place in history, Uh, there's still a mystery and an indeterminable nature uh, to the face of God and within our relationship. And Paul relates that to having a childish perspective or to viewing something in, in a mirror. Um, and at this point it's probably helpful to know a bit more what a mirror was like for Paul. Um, and that, that's a first century mirror. It's just a highly polished piece of silver or sometimes it was bronze. Um, and so you can imagine the resulting reflection You'd get is really just quite hazy and dim, um, the colours quite indistinct, uh, compared to what we're used to, which is a pretty um, accurate picture these days in modern glass mirrors. Perhaps a modern parallel for us would be when you try and look in a window to do a car window to do your hair, uh, you sort of have to squint and, and look around a bit just to the, get the light right for it to be half useful. And you always sort of leave not really confident in that reflection you've just witnessed. Anyway, the point here is that looking in a mirror back in the first century was pretty murky and dim and hazy. And this is what Paul relates to our current existence in comparison to what it will be like in the new creation. He's saying the state of play now is that we can only see things a bit murky, but in the new creation, all will be crystal clear. But now even our best knowledge and understanding is like a child's. Yet in contrast in the new creation, it'll be like an adult's. And that's why we need some of these gifts now. Uh, Knowledge now is a gift as it helps understand the mysteries of our current murkiness. Or prophecy now is a gift as it provides God-inspired clarity to our present and our future. However, when all is made complete and crystal clear and we are face to face with God, both those gifts are no longer necessary as we all have complete knowledge. they become obsolete. In contrast to that, love will always remain, it'll never become obsolete and it endures forever. We can receive and show love towards God now, we can receive and show love towards each other now, and in the new creation, it's the same. We receive and show love to God, and we receive and show love to each other. Love is something we can invest in now and continue to see its returns into eternity. So what does that mean for us now? As we saw last week, gifts are distributed differently to different people and that's by God's design for the church. Um, However, love is something we all have a capability in. It's a universal gift we've all received from God and so it's a universal gift we all have the ability to share and display with each other. So invest in our God-given gifts. Be they welcoming or baristering or singing or hospitality, encouragement, administration, prophecy, tongues, invest in all these things. Um, but alongside that, invest in love, because it's fundamental for any of those other gifts to amount to anything, and it's a gift we all have. And also, it'll keep paying dividends into eternity. So today, we've seen these things through the texts. That gifts without love equal nothing. That love must be displayed, and that love lasts forever. What are the implications of all of that for us here at Sea Light North? Um, to answer this, I think we can first ask ourselves a couple of questions before resolving on a joint course of action together. So, questions: Do I know I am loved? Am I motivated by love? And then, okay, let's pursue love. So firstly, do I know I am loved? As we've already mentioned, this definition of love that Paul gives us is both a beautiful picture and a massive challenge. Um, There is no way we, as broken humans, could hope to achieve this showing of love within our own strength. An easy way to highlight this is to simply read verses 4-7 to with your own name substituted for love. For instance, Sam is patient. Sam is kind, he is not self-seeking, he is not easily angered, Sam keeps no record of wrongs and I feel dirty even just saying that because I know it to be so untrue but yeah if we substitute in the name of Jesus then it rings true, Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, Jesus is not easily angered and he keeps no record of wrongs, he always protects us, always trusts, always hopes and always perseveres. Now you may be new here uh, to the idea of the love of Jesus, Um, and this is a truth we all know as Christians, that God loves us just as we are, Uh, broken, battered, mistake makers, sinful humans, and even though we don't deserve this love from God, he gives it so generously and unconditionally to us all. The ultimate display of this love has been through Jesus uh, and his sacrifice for us in dying, And defeating death and giving us all forgiveness of our sin and you may be a follower of Christ here today and for us it's also important to keep remembering this love this love shown to us in Jesus never ends and thank God because we all continue to not show love to each other we all continue to make a hash of things and fall into sin yet the love of Jesus never gives up on us it never runs out It's a constant, everlasting thing we all have. So this is our motivation and foundation to be able to show love because we have all been so generously and radically loved by Jesus first. So first, know that you are loved. Another question we can ask ourselves as Christians is, am I motivated by love? seen today, uh, the risks that come in contributing within our church without love as a motivation. Uh, First risk, we could have zero effect or just be annoying noise. Uh, Risk two, um, our church could not fulfill its core mission or one of its core missions of its existence to display love that can be evidently seen from outside. So it's helpful to be able to self-check our motivations. Are they driven by love? Uh, As I mentioned before, Ruth and I chose this text as one of our texts for our marriage, Um, and even in uh, spite of knowing it wasn't written for a marriage context. Um, But for me it had been really quite instrumental in my lead up to approaching marriage. I was 30 when we got engaged, and you might think, uh, well I thought, um, I'm a pretty mature guy, Um, I was Christian, I thought, I've got a pretty good idea of what love is. Um, but this was a verse that really hit me around um, in the lead up to marriage and really challenged me. Because I could see this wasn't the reality of my motivations towards Ruth. At times I still got annoyed by her. At times I still felt I knew what was best for her. Uh, at times I wanted to make sure I got things my way. Was that love? And so one thing I felt inspired to do was to memorise this part of the passage, verse 4 and 7. And in doing that, it kept popping up in my mind when I was reflecting on my interactions in the relationship. Was I keeping a record of wrongs there? Uh, Was I being easily angered there? Yeah, a lot of the time, yes. Um, And so this passage in itself provided me a helpful checklist of what it meant to show love. A good litmus test, right, of my motivations and interpretations of my actions in relationship with Ruth. And I think for all of us, as Christians, this passage can do the same. It gives us a good image of what love is to self-examine our motivations against, and especially in our interactions with each other in the church family, because that is the original context this was written to. So one way we can practically implement what we're looking at this week is to try memorizing verses 4 to 7. I'm going to try and memorize it again as well, and let it resurface in our minds for when we forget how much we are loved by God through Jesus, and also as a way of reflecting of our own motivations towards each other in our church. Now again, to reiterate, we'll run out of steam trying to show love like this without first knowing the depth of love Jesus has shown for us. So, do I know I am loved? And then can I self-examine, am I being motivated by love? Um, and then finally, how do we resolve this as a church? Let's see what Paul says. He concludes this section on love by saying, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, especially prophecy is a bit of a cliffhanger again for next week where we'll pick that up. Um, But first, uh, faith, hope, and love Uh, These are all key virtues to our Christian faith. Again, they're all universal attributes we all need and and gifts um, as we wait for the return of Jesus um, until we we get to the new creation. But out of these, Paul elevates love to that top position. In its everlasting nature um, through into the new creation, it is the most excellent way and the greatest of all these. And here where Paul's using that phrase, follow the way of love in our NIV translation, um, that phrase in the original Greek is the word diokso, uh, some somewhat like that, which fully means the idea um, to chase, to pursue, to hunt down or strive after. Um, and that's why some other translations will choose the word pursue here rather than lo- uh, follow. Um, so what should we do? Pursue love. Paul's saying eagerly desire these gifts of the Spirit we've been talking about, They are good and God has diversely distributed them through our church by his design and therefore the church is common good to build it up. So don't forget about eagerly desiring them. However, above that desire, pursue and chase down and strive after love as our top priority because in the words of Jesus again this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So for us here at City Light North Adelaide, let's Pursue love. Let's go and love as we have been so generously loved. i just going to pray to finish up. Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son here to earth to be with us, to pursue us down in love um, and to walk towards the cross that awaited him, um, to, to be murdered by us, um, and to defeat death all for our sake um, and our forgiveness. What great love we've seen from you, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that we as a church here at Sea Light North can can know the depth of your love for us, uh, that we can be motivated in that to show love to each other, uh, that we can be a light within our city uh, so people can see the love of you. And all for the sake that many more would come to know you, Lord Jesus, um, and have everlasting life and love. Pray all this in your wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, Visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.